I want to talk for a few minutes uh, today about the next position of the ladder. So we talked about a little bit about, um, and you can open up your Bibles if you want to, the New Testament. I think we're going to Galatians, but responsibility. Then we end up using forgiveness in our lives. And once we start to forgive those around us and, in, and the things that are happening, we start to get hope. Now, the goal is that we end up having permission to dream in our lives and stay, uh, have a fresh perspective. But then before, once we start to have forgiveness and hope in our lives, something happens. And it's really the, uh, once we start to have this, we have to have something that helps. And that is we have to be able to protect what's happening. And I like to say it's self-love. Now, self-love is, I know it doesn't sound very spiritual because everyone's terrified in the church that we're going to somehow love like our flesh. But there is a part of it where we have to really learn to love ourselves well. I love the thought that God doesn't have to abuse us to use us. And so I love, uh, Victoria Olsen says this, uh, just because you can do all things through Christ doesn't mean we need to do all things right? And so I really want to talk about boundaries. I want to talk about living a healthy life. And I want to talk about um, how to protect yourself in the midst of getting healthy and doing hard things well. Now, for me, the way I got into this was I had my second son, Hudson. And long story short, we were moving into a new home and they discovered black mold into the home. And so we had to move in with my parents, which was the worst thing I wanted to do because it took me 27 years to get out of that house. And then I was moving back in with my two children. I felt like I was 10 and I was going back into my home. My parents, my dad's very Italian. He's very neurotic. He says being neurotic is a full-time job. And my parents are very uh, loving, but almost overly loving. Does anybody have anybody like that? Like they, they are, they still see you somewhat as a child. My parents are still making sure that I'm getting sleep and I'm eating well. And I'm like, I'm a mom of four and I'm 40. So it's okay. I'll be fine. But, you know, that's just how they are. They're very, they, uh, they're, they're in my business. And so, so I'm sitting on my mom's couch with my newborn Hudson, which we had had in 17 months, two and 17 months. And I start to feel like something's wrong. Like I can't seem to function in my normal day life. I, I just, it was like all I could do to function with the two boys. And so I took Hudson into the pediatrician to get him checked, just a regular checkup at three months. And I began to talk to the, the pediatrician about how I was doing. And the pediatrician said, you know, tell me a little bit more about that. And I said, well, I'm just really struggling. It's been really overwhelming trying to figure out how to do everything I'm doing. And, and I said, I just, I'm, I can barely keep it together. And she said, that seems kind of odd. You seem pretty capable have you considered that you might be dealing with postpartum depression? And when she said it, have you ever had someone tell you something and it's like an aha moment, like permission all of a sudden, like that's what it is. And so I remember as she said it to me, I began to cry. My tear, my eyes filled up with tears and water. Just, have you ever, you know, you haven't planned on crying and now you're crying and, and you're embarrassed because you're supposed to be there for your child and now it looks like it's for you. And, and so you're like, yeah, absolutely. And you're trying to get it together and, and then you just want to hug her and, you know, all that stuff. Have you ever had one of those appointments where now you are just, and, um, 
And so I, she said, You're, you may want to see somebody. You know, I recommend you see somebody for this. And so I went outside to my car. I hopped in my car, and I had remembered that I had a, a friend of mine whose mom was a marriage and family counselor, Christian counselor in the area. And she had her, been married to a pastor and then now was leading and um, counseling and was married as well. And so she, I called her, and I, I panicked because I was raised in church, and leaders don't see counselors. Come on. Like, you only see counselors if you have mental issues. That was literally my thought. And I loved God. And so why would I see a counselor? And, and so I had this co- conflict inside, which was, why would I go to a counselor when I have God? And all this panic inside. But I knew I needed to do something. I, my, my mic is popping. I'm going to bring it down a little. Sorry. And so, um, sorry, it starts to drive me crazy. And so basically, is it okay if I do that and you turn me up a little? That would help me. Is that okay? Okay. And so um, I left a message for her um, in the parking lot, and I said, hi, it's Havala. They think I have postpartum depression. I'd love to come see you. Well, she immediately called me back within the hour. I thought she'd call me back a couple days later. What I didn't know was that when someone says postpartum depression, they don't mess around with it because they think you might have postpartum psychosis, which means you'll hurt your baby. And so they just want to see you immediately. So you think they're being kind, but really they, they want to protect the child. So... So I'm like, okay. So I, I go into her office and we sit down together and I just, I grab my coffee. I'm so sorry. How obnoxious am I right now? I'm so sorry. Okay. Okay. So, so I go in and I sit down with her and, and she says, well, let me ask you a few questions. And so she goes through her list and she says, do you know what, you want to know what I think? I said, I do want to know what you think. And she said, well, out of the 14 symptoms of postpartum depression, you have 13 of them. And, and I said, okay, and, and I, again, was crying again, and she said, so well, I want to meet with you every week, and I want to just walk you through this, and we're going to get you some help, and then um, we'll go from there. And, and she, I said, okay, well, what do you want me to do? Because remember, I'm a leader, so leaders have to do something. Like, what do you want me to do? Can you cast it out? Can we keep going? And uh, she says to me, I don't want you to do anything. The only thing I want you to do is I want you to get a good night's sleep. I'm like, I have two children under, are you being, is that a sick joke (laughs) to a new mother? Oh, (laughs) good night's sleep. Okay. (laughs) Like, okay. And, um, and she said, well, the, the problem is if you aren't sleeping after three days, your brain no longer can function at full capacity. And then all of a sudden you, you, you literally go into like a survival mode and you have no capacity to to receive anything that I'm about to tell you. And if I tell you something, you're going to get so overwhelmed because you're exhausted. Your brain won't be able to receive what I'm about to give you. And so I need you to focus on it. So I need you to enlist your mom, enlist your husband, enlist your boyfriend. No, I'm kidding. Enlist all of those. And, um, and I want you to, I need, you need someone to, to actually feed the baby at night and you need to get five hours of sleep. And I'm like, I, okay, I'm going to try to do that. Of course it's going to hurt, but I'm going to do it. You know what I mean? And so you guys will get some of you that nurse know what I'm talking about. So, so, um, so I, I go home and I tell my husband, my only object is I have to get three nights of sleep. So I do, I do that and I go back in. And so she starts to meet with me regularly and we start to see some real change. I start to feel a lot better. And then one day I walk into her office and she says something to me that made me want to punch her in the face. So violent, right? But I have boys, so just... Pray hard, pray hard. And, and she's like, I, this is what she says. She said, you know, Havala, 
you would have eventually come in and seen me. The baby just got you here sooner. And I was like, you don't understand. I'm an ordained minister. We don't, I don't need you. Like, the baby got me here, and that's the only reason I'm here. Like, that's my thought is, like, I don't need you. This was just a part of the hard pregnancy. And so I asked her, what do you mean by that? And she said, you, your whole life was set up to self-destruct, and you needed me. You need help. And she said, here's what I've been inviting you into. She said, I've invited a private group of seven key leaders in your city that no one is allowed to know what each of you do. It's an anonymous group, but you have to come. You have to commit every Friday for a year to sit with me with the other seven women, and we're going to talk about what healthy boundaries look like. We're going to talk about what healthy living looks like, and I'm going to help you structure your life so that you can be here for a long time. So you know what I did? I sat with her for not just a year. I sat with her for a year and a half with these women. I, do, I didn't know where they, where they were. I knew they were senior pastors and heads of corporations. I knew what they, that they were key women, but that we sat together. And you know what I realized is that boundaries um, are needed by everybody. And what I learned and what she taught me is what I'm going to teach you in the next 40 minutes. <laughs> For, two, for a year and a half, I'm going to give you everything I learned. And I know that some of you are going to be like, wow, I've never heard this before. Give yourself grace. These are new thoughts, but spend some time on it. And your book has a lot of this in it for some of this stuff. So here's what I want to share with you. Initially, if you open up your Bibles, I'm going to read this passage to you. Uh, we are going to Galatians chapter 6. This whole, this whole part is... Um, I can do some things. So we just did I can do hard things last night. This morning we did I can do all things, and now it's I can do some things. Let me tell you, this is going to relieve a lot of your pain. If you're in pain right now, if you're in pressure, if you're feeling overwhelmed, we're about to make things a whole lot easier in your life. Things are about to get super clear and you are going to be able to feel really relaxed and it's going to help you. Like we're about to relieve that pressure is going to go down. Okay. So be encouraged. This is going to be good. Galatians chapter six, verse, verse two says this, carry each other's burdens. If you're underlining or circle, I want you to underline that part of the passage, carry each other's burdens. Okay. And then it goes on. The author goes on and he says, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. And then it says this, for each one should carry their own load. Isn't this interesting that the author begins the passage saying, we should carry each other's burdens. And then at the end of the passage, he says, but you each should carry your own load. Why is the author conflicting in this? Is he, why is he changing his mind halfway through? Well, again, you have to go into the original meaning to understand what this really means. Now, when it says we should carry each other's burdens, this is important. Burden in the Greek means crushing load. It's like a boulder that's coming down on someone. So it says, listen, it is godly for our communities that when we see someone who is being crushed by something, we are to run to their rescue and help them. 
It is godly when someone loses their job to run over and help them. It's godly when somebody loses somebody, someone, a, a death in the family or, or a loss of, of life or something. It's godly for us to run to them. It's godly when someone's in crisis to help them. It's bolder. If they carry it on their own, they're going to be crushed. They're gonna, they're, it's going to ruin their life. It's going to hurt them. They will, they will not be able to do it on their own. But then if you look at the Greek part of the next passage, it says, but each should carry their own load. The Greek meaning of that is cargo or backpack. So it is biblical for each of us to carry our own backpack. This is biblical to carry our own backpack, our own load. It's biblical that each of us carry a portion of our life, a realistic adult size burden. Is, is responsible. Now, I will tell you this. We get this very much mixed up in the church. God does not call us to be responsible for someone. He has called us to re- be responsible to someone. I'm not responsible for you. I'm responsible how I treat you. And I'm not being mean if I don't do what you want me to do because you don't want to do it for yourself. Come on. I'm not mean if I won't do what you want me to do because you don't want to do it for yourself. And it's not godly for me to carry your backpack. Now, that sounds romantic, but I want to explain this a little bit more. I'm responsible to each other, but not for each other. 1 Corinthians 10.23 says, All things are legitimate, permissible, and we are free to do anything we please, but not all things are helpful, expedient, profitable, and wholesome. All things are legitimate, but not all things are constructive to character and edifying to spiritual life. Just because you can do everything doesn't mean you're supposed to do everything. Everything is legitimate. You know, you can have your adult child live with you forever. But it doesn't mean it's beneficial. You can pay for your adult child's cell phone bill, but you are carrying their backpack. Because they're adults. And God sees them as an adult. And this is the danger The church gets so used to carrying other people's backpacks that when someone has a crushing load, there's nothing to give them. So we go, you know what, I'll just pay for so-and-so. Every time we go out, I'll just pay for them. And, you know, I'll just pay for, you know, take care of them. And here's another retreat I'll pay for. And, you know, here's another thing I'll do for them. And then so-and-so loses their job, and I'm like, I'm out of money. I have nothing to give to you. Why? Because I've been providing for people that should have been providing for themselves, but instead I'm wearing out. And you know what's happening? I'm getting a lot of benefit every time I'm helping somebody, but I'm not being biblical. I'm not being biblical. And oftentimes our reward is that we feel really good about something, but just because we feel good about something doesn't mean we're being spiritual. And what God wants to do is, I say this all the time, 
I must minister out of abundance. I cannot minister out of need. I understand that that's going to kind of trigger you a little, but this is important. When I go and travel, there used to be a time when I would travel and I would just spend all my energy. I would show up and I would meet with anybody who wanted to meet, be, you know, meet with me. And I would spend hours after a service with a line of people and I would talk and pray. And I was there to serve those women and serve those men and give everything I could. You know what would happen on a Monday? It was like I had a ministry hangover. I would show up on a Monday and I could barely put my pants on. I could barely form a sentence. And then I would literally... It would take me two to three days to get back into me being a normal person. And the Lord began to speak to me and said, Havala, that is not good stewardship. Because your family is your stewardship. They are your small congregation of four, and they see how you act, and they are getting, they're getting the leftovers of your life. And that is not biblical. Your kids do not, they are, should not be getting the leftover of your life. They should be getting the best of your life right now. There'll be a time when they will get the leftover because they'll be adults and they'll be fine and they can call later and they can go ask their wife. But right now, it's biblical for me to be at a place of refreshment. So I don't stay afterwards to talk. You'll see me. I'm not being mean. I just know on Monday morning at 6.30 in the morning, guess who's getting up to let the dog out? Make lunches, do carpool, pick up, do three pickups on a Monday. This girl right here. And I'm not going to do it cranky and exhausted. I'm going to steward it well. And this is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a healthy balance in our lives. An ability to say, to almost not, to, to uh, calculate what is a burden and what is a load and honor God in it. That I can do whatever I want to do. I'm allowed to stay and talk to anybody. I will do that today. And I'll spend time signing books and being with you. And I love it. And there's nothing more than I love doing. But... Just because it's, I can doesn't mean I should. And I have to be okay with you not being okay with me for me to do what I need to do. This is important. I have to be okay with you not being okay with me. You know why? Because on opinions, it's God, my husband, my family, and then everybody else. Come on. And so if you don't like me, oh well. I can't love you well if I feel like I have to like you. I can't love you well if I feel like you're taking something from me. I remember one time somebody said to me, I, I, used, I was working, I was a teaching pastor, and I would sit in meetings and the meetings would go long. And I was sitting with a bunch of men, Right? So their wives were making warm dinners and preparing, and I was like, it's 5 o'clock. I need to go. I need to make dinners. Like, I got to cook. I got this. My, your day's ending, and my day's beginning. I'm about to do bedtime and routines and diaper changing, and, and you know, and then, and then when I go to bed, someone's going to roll over and try to touch me, and that's going to happen. So, like, th this, my story's just beginning. Do you know what I mean? Like, you guys are fine. My story's just beginning, right? There was a time in my life, I remember I would sleep like this, and just, like, just like to protect my bosom because I felt like it was like, it was like all access to everybody in the house. Do you know what I mean? Does anybody know? I mean, like just somebody talks to you and you just act like you're like, I'm not, I'm going to lie. I'm going to act like I'm sound asleep because I cannot give to anybody else today. Do you know who you are? That little nudge and you're like, don't move. Do not 
move. I said, I did not know this, but in marriage, a hug is always an invitation. It is never just a hug. It's an invitation for an impartation. So anyway, okay. Okay, so. So I would sit in this meeting and I would be like, why are you guys going late? And I would resent them. And somebody once said to me, you cannot expect other people to know what they're taking from you. And you can't expect them to be sorry for what they take from you. It's the, you are in the meeting. It's their meeting. They can do whatever they want. You are responsible for what someone takes from you. And you have to be okay with what you're giving. But you can't resent people for asking and expecting you to be there. You'll have to have your own boundaries to say, I can or I can't, and that's up to you. Does that make sense? So here's what I want to talk about. If doing all things will eventually hurt you, good eventually becomes the enemy of best in our lives. We have to say no in our lives to open up space to say yes. And if we say yes to everything, we'll never be able to say yes to the right things because we'll be busy. So I do boundaries, taking care of your personal load. Proverbs 25, 28 says, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Some of us, we have legitimate reasons for being exhausted and overwhelmed. When I had four kids and somebody said, you shouldn't be tired, I would throat punch them. I have four kids. I'm going to be tired for five years, right? I'm nursing every three hours. I'm up. I'm with my kids. I'm exhausted. There are years I don't remember. But now there, are, now there are times when I know the reason I'm exhausted is because I didn't steward my time well. I didn't honor where I was going, and I wanted to make sure you were happy with me versus me stewarding what I have. There was a point in my life about two and a half years ago where I just said, I'm just never going to do a coffee date in this season of my life. You know why? <laughs> and you young moms know what I'm talking about. You will spend two days looking for a babysitter, you will show up, you will spend another $20 drinking coffee to listen to someone talk about their life for two hours. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, only the young moms know what I'm talking about. And you haven't had a date night in a month. And so what you'll realize is I can do that or I can say I'm not doing coffee dates right now, I'm doing date nights. And you can come over to my house and fold laundry with me if you'd like to do that. But this is my real life, and this is what life looks like for me right now. And at the end of the day, I still have to show up tonight and do real life. Does that make sense? So some of you grandmas, you're like, that's not my season. No worries. I'm just talking to the young moms, and I'm trying to give them permission to be in a season where they can limit and not have to do everything. Because the young moms are told nowadays that they have to do everything. And young moms are told that they have to show up for everybody and do everything. And what I want to do is say, no, you do not have to do that. You steward your life well, and you will have time later on to do everything you want to do. Proverbs 25, 28, it says, you're like a city whose walls are broken down as a man who lacks self-control. Now, I, had, I know those of you in the back can't quite see this, but I had them bring in a baby gate. It's kind of like a circle. We had this in our home. I had these. I always corralled my kids and leashed them. And this is real, okay? So what it's saying biblically is a man who lacks self-control is somebody who has no boundaries. Everybody has access to them, and they, and they have access. It's like anybody can get to them. There is no safety net towards them. It's, they're just free 
free will for anybody. And what we all got, we have to understand biblically is that each of us have something I like to call a yard. And your yard is your space. It's the space that God holds you entirely responsible for in your life, how you steward it. Your yard is the space in which you begin and someone else ends. Okay? If in my house, we just bought a house a year and a half ago. If I went out and saw my neighbor mowing the lawn, and I realized he didn't mow my lawn, and he's retired and he has all this time, and I knock on his door and say, you have all this time and all this money, you didn't mow my lawn, who would be inappropriate? Me. Why would I be inappropriate? The guy has time and money. I clearly have a full life. I clearly have a lack of everything. The reason is because it's my yard, my responsibility. It's his yard, his responsibility. And the moment I start holding somebody else responsible for my yard is the moment I'm being irresponsible. Okay? So what is in our yard? This is important. God wants you to have your own space. Your space is your yard. It's your stewardship. It's your, it's your environment. It's all of yours. And God holds you entirely responsible for what happens in your yard. In fact, when you get to heaven, he will ask you how you stewarded these three areas. Let me say this. It's going to blow your mind. If you steward these three areas with diligence, you will have very little time for anything else. If you steward these areas well, you won't have time to gossip about somebody else's life because you'll actually be taking care of yours. Okay? So here's what I want to say. This is your yard, and this is your space. Now, this is not a prison fence. Some people go, I have boundaries. We're like, it's not boundaries. You are, you are like imprisoned, like nobody can ever, ever get to you, right? So you don't have boundaries. You just, you're so isolated and locked in, no one can get to you. But a yard is a space where we, they ebb and flow. Our boundaries change. They grow and they, like when I have an infant that's a, that's a newborn, if you want to bring me a meal, you can bring me a meal, but you have to set it on the porch and I will wave at you through the glass door. Why is that? Because when you have a preemie, if the preemie gets a fever, you go get checked into the hospital, and you don't leave there for days until that preemie gets better. You get a fever, you take some medicine, and you go to work the next day. So your boundaries change per your season. So when I had a little one, I'll wave you through the glass door. Please throw food and money, right? <laughs> But as I get older, then my kids get older, then yeah, you can come in, you can dine with me, you can sit with me, we can have a cup of coffee together. All of a sudden, my boundaries ebb and change. Now, could you imagine if I acted that, that way with people now that I have teenage, if I had teenagers, like, please drop the food off and all of us with our teenagers will wave, like, it'd be strange. <laughs> because boundaries ebb and flow per season and per life. So here are the three areas that God holds you entirely responsible for. Your first one that God holds you entirely responsible for is your feelings. Everybody say feelings. Feelings. 
We said this a little bit this morning, but your feelings have no moral value. Um, I found that there are two types of people in the world. There are those that know how much gas is in their car, and there are those that only put gas in when the light comes on. Who are the ones that know how much gas is in their car right now? This is, I don't know, I don't even understand you. I don't even understand you. Who are you? My husband's like, how much gas in your car? I go, I don't know. The light isn't on. Plenty. How many of you are the light people? When the light goes on, yeah, see, look at us. Look how much happier we look. No, okay, so my husband will not allow the gas tank to get below halfway. He's like, it's not good for the car. I'm like, I didn't even know that was possible to actually put more gas in your car until the light's on. I didn't even think that was a possibility. So feelings are a lot like this. Feelings are the dashboard. And so... We could be going on through life, and then something happens. It doesn't have to be intense. It doesn't have to be antagonistic. It could be anything. And I can feel something. We could be interacting, and you say something like, hey, you going to be there tonight? And I'm like, why do you care? Like, all of a sudden, this emotion of anger. Like, why do you care? What's, are you monitoring me? Are you my mom? And all of a sudden, I have these emotions. Now, I could either get upset and act on it, say something kind of passive-aggressive, like, well, why would you care, mom? Or I could be ashamed, like, oh, I can't believe I felt that way. You know, why am I such a, so weird? Or I could say, huh, that's interesting. Obviously, she wasn't saying it meanly to me. I wonder why I reacted with so much fear or aggression or concern or anxiety. It shows you what's going on inside of you. It just is a signal. Feelings are signals that help us know what's happening on the inside of us. There's no moral value. It teaches us about the areas that need healing, about the areas that need information. It it allows us. But your feelings are yours. Someone says this to you. You made me mad. Wow. I didn't know I was so powerful that I could go inside of you And all of the plethora of feelings that you have, I chose anger. I must be God. You made me angry. No, I didn't. You chose anger. Well, you know, you got to make me happy. No. Happiness is about you. And you are the one that chose to be unhappy, but I'm not powerful enough, and it's a mirage to make me think that I'm powerful enough to make you happy. People that think they are in charge of other people's feelings, it's actually a fake feeling of control. But there is no, you are not powerful enough to go into anybody and choose any of their feelings. You know, it's interesting, the person could have chose anything. When someone gets mad at you, they have all kinds of options. They could have chose empathy. Wow, I don't know what it's like to be you. They could have chose compassion. They could have chose kindness. They could have, but they instead chose anger and resentment, and they attacked you. That was their, that's their responsibility. It's not yours. I like to say it this way. How you choose to respond says everything about you, and how I choose to respond says everything about me. How you choose to respond says everything about you, and how I choose to respond says everything about me. I'll say it again. You have to memorize this in any environment. How you choose to respond, son, says everything about you. 
And how mommy chooses to respond says everything about me. How you choose to respond, honey, says everything about you. And how I choose to respond says everything about me. Well, they just get angry and they're always upset. Well, that's up to them. Well, what if they're angry around me? What do I do? Well, you look at them and you say, this, not you, this is turning disrespectful. I would love to carry this conversation and I'll be happy to when this is respectful again. Not you are disrespectful, you are arrogant, you're a jerk. Just this is disrespectful, and when you want to be respectful, I'd be happy. My kids, mom, I want a drink. I need a drink. Son, I'd be, I would love nothing more than to get you some water, and when you want to ask that nicely, I'd be happy to help you. Keeping the power in their yard. They are powerful, and they need to know it. They get to choose how they react. Your feelings are your dashboard. And let me say this. You not allowing someone to feel something is being disrespectful. I'm upset. Oh, no, you're not. I had someone like that in my life growing up. I'm just struggling. Oh, you're fine. Am I? Or do you just want me to be fine so you can keep your anxiety down? Second area is your attitude. I don't like your attitude. Okay. That was a movie quote. I wasn't talking to you. Okay, attitude. Your attitudes are in your yard. Your attitudes are a learned disposition about life. This is important. I hope I can teach you this quickly. Your attitudes come from your values and your core beliefs about life. Okay? So if my attitude is that I can do it and you have a confidence, then somewhere along the line, you were taught that you have value and that you are, you may not do it perfectly, but you can do it. Some of us go, I hate my life. It's, and you're negative. Everything is negative with you. I guarantee as a little girl, you didn't grow up as a negative. You weren't like a baby where you're like, the milk isn't coming fast enough. Like, I don't think that's how it was happening with you. The negativity, it may have played into your disposition, but it was also a learned behavior by somebody in your life that taught you that this is the filter in which we see life. And so, have you ever had someone say to you, would you just get happy? Like, be happy. How long does that last? Like five minutes, right? Because the way to change our attitude about life isn't, well, just get happy. Just be, have you ever had something like, just be grateful? Okay. I'll be grateful. Because it lasts for like five minutes. But if you're feeling something strongly, I can only be happy for you for so long, but I'm actually experiencing this and I have to live with this and it feels very real on the inside of me. Now listen, the way that I change my attitude about things is I have to change my core belief and my value. If I think being a mother is horrible and exhausting and thankless and invisible, and every time I go to my kids, I'm like, okay, I'm just your, you know, living servant. Sure, I'll get you that. Nobody ever thanks me. Nobody ever sees me, right? And then my attitude about life is that parenting isn't fun. It's a thankless job, and I can't wait for my kids to be 18 so I can be clean and free of it, right? 
So then everything I do about it is that's my filter about how I do life. Or I can say, you know what? Being a mom is an honor. And there's a lot of women in this world that would love to be a mother. That's the greatest desire in their life. And there's a lot of women that have waited many, many years to adopt and prayed and saved to have their own children. And I, and I didn't have to do that. And I'm so grateful that I have these little kids. And I'm so grateful that they call me mom. And I'm so grateful that I have them in my life right now. And this won't always be this way. And if I start to have an attitude, then the next time my kid asks me something, I'm not like, well, get it yourself. I'm like, sure, I'll do it. I'm not in denial. I'm not like, everything's happy. Everything's great. I just love my life. Like, I'm not, in, I'm not you know, Sally Sanguine. I'm just normalizing the fact that I have to go after my core value for me to change the way I feel about life. And my attitudes are based. If you show me that you have a bad attitude, I'll show you that you have a wrong belief. If we spent some time together, I'd be able to go back. What made you think that that was how life works? What is it in you that causes you to wonder? Now, some of you have legitimate facts, but I know a lot of people that have pretty cruddy lives and are still having a great life. So it's an attitude adjustment. It's not always circumstantial. The last area is your choices. Everybody say choices. So your choices, I spelled that wrong. Um... Your choices are what your decisions and the things you choose to do. And um, you have to take 100% responsibility for your choices for anything to change in your life. And we talked about that last night, so I'm not going to spend too much time on that. So this is your yard. My feelings, how I feel about life, my attitude, what I think about life, my choices, what I do about my life, are all within my yard. They're my responsibility, and they're within my, my property line. And if somebody says, well, why would you do that? And why do you think that? And why do you feel that? You know what? It's fine for you to wonder, but at the end of the day, it's in my yard, and I get to choose. And I can make you feel good about it, or you can feel bad about it. At the end of the day, it's still within my world, and I got to live with me. Right? So... A man without self-control is like a man who has no walls. Anybody can come, anybody can go. And this is what happens in our life. Is, is there are people that are surrounding your yard. Like, here's your mother-in-law, right? Here is your husband, okay? And those yards are all there. Let's put a Y over them like the yard. And oftentimes, whoever's closest to you will tell you what they think about your life. There's even people in your life that believe their yard is completely a part of your yard. <laughs> this is how we feel about our life, right? Here's how we feel about this. Here's the decision we're going to make. And some of those people are super healthy and you want them close to your yard. And some of them are not healthy, and you need to begin to weed them from having that much access to you. Nobody has a right to have access to you. This is important. No one has a right to have access to you. It is a privilege to have access to you. No one has a right to dominate and go into your yard and tell you how to feel, how to think, how to experience, what to choose. No. You are an adult, and they are an adult, 
and that's up to them. Now, what about my kids? Because that's the number one question I get. First of all, it's spouse, which we'll talk about in a minute. But my kids, are my kids in my yard? At this point, when my kids are below the age of 18, they're in my yard. Which means I'm not disrespecting how they feel about life or what they think about life, but we are going to clean the house because we believe things should be taken care of, and we're going to do this together. And if you don't like it, that is okay because we're going to do this because you're in my yard. And this is what we're going to do. You're going to teach them, listen, our jobs as role models, whether you're a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or uncle, our job is to teach our kids healthy feelings, choices, and attitudes and how to manage those well. This doesn't just happen on our own. We don't just become healthy because we're just, well, no one ever talked to me about it. I just was a healthy person. No, you're probably not. This requires change and growth and maturity. Does that make sense? So... If we manage our boundaries very well, we will have little time for anything else. Boundaries create protection for us and for others. It keeps the good in and the bad out. How do we know that God is in the boundaries? This is important. Revelations, God says, I stand at the door and knock. And if you, if you don't open the door, I barge in because it's my house too. It says, and if you open the door, I'll come in. Boundary. God does not force his way into any of our lives, any of our situation. He's a gentleman. He sits, he waits, and what we open up, he allows. Now listen, another way we know that God believes in boundaries, clear evidence, one of the clearest evidences of our whole lives, is our skin. Have you noticed that our skin holds all of our property? And how violating it is when someone touches our skin without our permission. How abusive it is when someone touches our bodies without permission. Because your skin and your body is yours. And no one has a right to your body. No one has a right to you without you giving them permission. Now, I realize when I say that in a group like this, because I know statistically, and I help a lot of people, that almost 70% of the women in this room have been touched inappropriately. That's, one out of, that's 7 out of 10 in this room. In fact, most of you that are sitting around a woman right now has had some situation where someone has touched their body without their permission. And I'm aware of that, and I understand that. And I want to say to you, that was right. That part of you that said this is wrong and cannot be ignored and that it's been a big deal in your life, yeah, it has been a big deal in your life because it's your yard, it's your space, and no one should have had access to that. And I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But I want you to understand that it's your body now and you get to choose whoever touches it no matter if they've touched it before, they don't have a right to touch it now. And just because that's how it's always been doesn't mean it always has to be that way. And you have a right to say no anytime you want to say no. That's your right. You say, why would we talk about that in church? Because this is the real world, right? 
And I, this is what I hear often, and I'm around it. So your skin is a physical sign, and that's why abuse robs us of the ability to know that our skin and our body is ours alone. Matthew 7, 5, 7 gives us another way of boundary. It's the biggest boundary word we can use, and that is the word no. I love what I think Dave Ramsey says, no is a complete sentence. It took me years to be able to say no without an excuse. say no and I'm so sorry and I'm so busy and list off eight things why versus saying no I'd love to but no so it's interesting you don't have to communicate boundaries meanly for you to have good boundaries in fact our object of having healthy boundaries is to be able to communicate them in the kindest way possible without anybody realizing that you are setting a very strong boundary how do you know if your boundaries are good or bad Here's a clear sign. If you go into a situation with a clear yes or no as an adult and that person causes you to change your mind without you feeling good about it and they reach the little girl inside of you and you walk away realizing that they took the control, you, you weren't able to feel confident in your yes or no, then you realize that they reached the little girl in you and you, you haven't been able to be strong. Adults are allowed to change their mind. Adults are allowed to change their mind. It doesn't mean that you are a flake. It doesn't mean that you don't follow through. You being an adult means that you're able to make a decision midstream and say, I thought that was going to work, but it's not going to work anymore. And if you are offended by that, I'm so sorry, but guess who decided to be offended? You. If we could be healthy in our boundaries, we could say something like this. I'm going to be, I want to learn to be more obedient to God for my life. And I want to be less concerned about what you think about me. I want to learn to have so much, such healthy boundaries that when I live, I have a surplus and an abundance I'm not overwhelmed and overcome by what you expect of me. So boundaries also, they need to have gates. So I left this open on purpose because some of us want to lock in. I'm in a boundary. No, you know, someone's walking towards us. Don't even come close. I'm in a boundary. I'm healthy. No, no, you're not. You're not. You are scared and you're keeping everybody out. But a boundary it ebbs and flows. It's, there's a gate on it, and it allows the good in and the bad out. It allows peace to happen. Now, I want to show you a few examples of this, and I know we have some balloons, and um, if I had it together, I probably would have been able to do more with this, but I want to give you an example of what it looks like to own, I'm just going to take one of these, to own your feelings and your attitudes and your choices, okay? So, this is what we do a lot in church. Let's say that this is my calling, my gift. This is what's on my life. I'm very excited. I'm a teacher. I'm a, a preacher. I, I love all of that, and, I, and I'm, I'm so excited. And so I set up time to meet with the pastor's wife. I'm going to have coffee. I waited two months. We're going to sit and have coffee, and I'm going to tell her everything about what's on my life, all my prophetic words, all my dreams, where God's taking me. And I may not say it all, but I'm alluding to the fact. And so what, I, what will often happen in church is we'll meet with the key leader, we will give them our calling, our gifts, 
and we'll come over here <laughs> and we'll wait. So we'll do our life and then in worship I'll look over and think, well, you know what's on my life. You're holding it, but you won't acknowledge it. And we wait and we wait and then somebody else comes in and they take the job that we told them we were felt called to and we're sitting here, we're offended and so then we get so offended because we feel like it wasn't acknowledged. We take our calling and we, well, we go to the next church. Here's my calling. They didn't see it. They held on to it. They didn't acknowledge it. But it seems like you're going to acknowledge it. So I'm going to give it to you and then I'll sit here and wait again. And then if they actually give it a little bit of recognition, acknowledgement, well, then they must, they love me. They know me. I feel more valuable. Did you know it's not godly for you to give anybody the call on your life? It's not, call, it's not godly to, well, I'm just going to be here and just serve, and if somebody recognizes it, then I'll be called. Stop it. Stop it. Me stewarding what's on my life. It, I'm not, everything that's in my yard is mine. My mom is a wonderful mom. She's a wonderful grandma, but the moment I expect her to raise my kids is the moment I lose the power to be the mom I need to be. Right? So what I do is... I may come over to the leader and say, this is on my life, and if you need it, and there's, if you need me to come and serve, I'd love to serve, but it's available. But I take it with me, and then I steward it like heck. That's a Greek word. And I steward it, <laughs> and I read books, and I go and serve at the youth group, and I greet at the front door, and I take online courses on truth. I'm kidding. Okay, and I... I take it and I let it grow and it becomes me and I own it and I realize, oh, that really wasn't me and I'm not really called to that, but I am called to this and I begin to enjoy it and it becomes to where I'm now pregnant with my calling and I'm going to give birth to this wherever I am. And I don't need you to acknowledge it. I'm going to be me. You know why? Because there's a whole big flipping world out there and we expect an hour on a Sunday morning to be the one place that we receive our call. We have a whole church that is addicted to platform ministry. People go, well, how do I start ministering? Well, for me, my biggest audience happens to be online with women that are on Facebook. And because I wasn't so embarrassed and thought, you know what? There's a big old world out there, and I'm not going to wait for a Sunday morning 30-minute session. I'm going to actually be me. And if there's a real grace on my life and a real calling on my life, then there'll be an evidence of that, and I can serve anywhere. I'm not out there trying to make it. I'm out there trying to serve people. That's it. We're just serving people well. Sometimes we're acknowledged. Sometimes we're not. At the end of the day, we're servants. We're called to be servants. That's it. So that's why I can go into one environment and go to another environment and never change. And I don't feel more valuable when I'm in the carpool line or more valuable when I'm on the front row. It doesn't really matter to me. It doesn't really matter to me. People go, well, you know, what about this? What about I don't know. I might, I might be awesome. I might be the flavor of the month. I'm still going to be me wherever I go. It doesn't matter. I am more addicted to God approving of who I am and what I'm doing than anybody else. There was one minute in the Bible that said, you are Hosanna, the king, and the next minute they were yelling, give us Barabbas. The crowd will always be confused. 
The crowd will always be confused. If you're waiting for the crowd to acknowledge you, be careful. You may not want them to acknowledge you. Some of you want to know, why am I still in hiding? Can I tell you something? This is us, three sessions in. I'm just going to be as honest as I can because we only have a few minutes together. Your ability to be anonymous and, and live in anonymity and work on the things that God's putting his finger on is a gift. You're not on a platform where people are judging if you're responding or not or how you're responding or you had a bad day or if you're smiling or what's wrong with you or why your kids are acting a certain way or why your husband, whatever it is. Your ability to be in private and let God work on the things you need to work on. God wants your yard to be so healthy that wherever you go, whether it's toxic or healthy, you're you. So at one minute, I can go into any environment. Listen, I travel three to four different places a month. And any environment I go into, I am never going to change for them. Because what happens here is most important. Has nothing to do if there's a line or if somebody gives me a high five on the way out. It doesn't matter to me. What matters, listen, success must be defined as us showing up, not us doing a good job. This is so important. In my life personally, success comes down to me showing up. It has nothing, it has very little to do with my performance, how I actually did. And when we get in the car to go anywhere when we travel, I will get in the car. My husband will mock me for this, but I will say, let's ignore our losses and celebrate our success. We showed up and that was success. And then I dust my feet off and I keep going. That's it. There's nothing more fancy to life than that. And anyone who overvalues their position, if you need a title to function, then you're just a hireling. A title should only confirm your position. It shouldn't give it to you. You should be able to operate as a leader. You go, well, I just don't feel like they acknowledge me as a leader or a pastor or you can, there's no law against you pastoring anybody. Love them well, serve them well, pray over them, do whatever. But don't wait for someone to acknowledge it. Most people I've noticed are more concerned about their own life than you. That's not rude. It's just, well, do you think that they know? No, they're, they're doing the best they can too. And we're all concerned that someone's judging us. They're not, ju- they're not even thinking about you. You ever done that brought, uh, hey, did you think, gosh, I didn't even think about it. I, I had an upset stomach. My face looked like I was upset I was because I thought I might have to run to the bathroom. I thought you were rejecting me. I wasn't. I was holding it in. That's it. Don't give people's facial expressions so much credit. So boundaries need gates, and people say no to the good and find it impossible to ask for what they need. God even gave us freedom to let him in close or to stay back. Again, Revelations 3. So God has no interest in violating your boundaries so that he can relate to us. Listen, Jesus told the rich young ruler, if you want to do what I want you to do, you're going to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. This is so fascinating. The rich young ruler, it says that he turned away in sadness and walked away. Isn't it interesting that Jesus was a better parent than most of us? (laughs) 
you know it's true. Like when my kid walks away disappointed, I'm like, I want to give it to them. Like it makes me so sad. I want them to be happy. Like I'm the, I am the marshmallow in the house. Is anybody a marshmallow? I'm like the marshmallow. My husband's like, you have the biggest spark and the smallest bite in the house. I'm like, I know. My husband follows through on everything and is like, doesn't mind anybody being uncomfortable. Does that, anybody married to someone like that? Like, I'm like, that just feels like you should work at, our, you should be at our house or like work at a prison. Like, I feel like that's what I'm getting, both environments. But I'm the marshmallow and I don't like it when my kids don't like me. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just being honest. I don't like it when my kids don't like me. It doesn't make me a bad person. I'm the nurturer in the house. I'm the only girl in the house. I'm the only one that cares how much blood is coming out of your body. I'm the only one that's going to Costco and buying Band-Aids in bulk. That's me. That's what I do. What we save in toilet paper, we make up in Band-Aids in our house. Okay? So that's what I do. I'm the nurturer. I'm going to hold you. I'm going I'm to cuddle you. I'm going to cry with you. That's my role. I'm the mom. I love it. But I don't like it when my kids turn away and aren't happy. But often they has to happen for me to be a good parent. Why? Because life doesn't work that way, yes. And because it's good for us to have a part of us that knows how to deal with disappointment. It's what makes a healthy adult. When someone goes, that's not what happened, but I can still function, you're a pretty healthy person. The person who isn't healthy is when they don't get their way, they stop functioning. Come on, we all know them. Like, I'm so sorry. The mom role is full right? So when the guy walks away, Jesus allows the man to walk away in sadness. And he doesn't yell out, oh, come back here. I'm just kidding. Oh, come here. Come here. Come here. I, let's work this out. Let's talk about it again. Let's process. There's got to be a way. <laughs> Jesus allows him to be uncomfortable. You know, the best way to have a really good boundary is you're going to have to come into grips with people being uncomfortable with you. And it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with them and their expectation of how you function. Some of you, you have to have boundaries for people in your life. And you're going to have to say, oh, guys, I have loved paying your cell phone bill. Mom has loved it. But I'm so clear that it's time for you to take that on. And so in one month from now, that bill will be under your name and it will be coming to you. And you're welcome to pay it or not. It's up to you. Well, you're so mean. Don't you know? I don't have a job yet. You know it's, it's cheaper for you to pay. Listen, an irresponsible person will always be offended when you set a boundary. This is very important. Oh, my gosh. This is gold. Listen. Irresponsible people never learn through lecture. Where's my responsible people in the room? Okay, right, you have to raise your hand right now. You're like, I don't know. If you're wondering, you're not. Okay, so listen. <laughs> All of my responsible people in the room, you guys are like this. I'm going to sit them down. I'm going to give them these five points of why it's responsible, and then we're going to help them work it out, and we're going to budget for them, and we're going to show that. Listen, that's because you are flipping responsible. But an irresponsible person will never, ever learn through lecture. The only way an irresponsible person learns, listen, listen, is through consequence, is through actually experiencing pain. Now, when an irresponsible person feels pain, they hate it because their whole life has been set up to avoid pain, right? So you're going to have to be okay with somebody not being okay. 
And you're going to have to tell yourself, I am more, I am more focused on me being obedient than you liking me. And I am more focused on growing in my obedience to God than anything else. So this is what's very important. I don't have time to do all of this because I took too much time. But I'll say this. These, if these are your feelings and your attitudes, oftentimes everyone has their own. And so what it kind of looks like is if this is you and these are your feelings and this is my feelings, oftentimes we'll go into situations where I'm upset and I'm like, hold, hold my anger. Here it is. When someone says, hey, do you have time to talk? I just want to share something that I've been thinking about or I haven't wanted to tell you this, but I want to tell you. Do you know what that is? That's the sound of a gun clicking back before it comes at you. Do you know what I'm talking about? I just, I just want to meet with you. Okay, let me give you some boundaries on meeting with people that are crazy. Do you have crazy people here? We have crazy people in California. I've been crazy. I've been one of these that have done this, so this, there's no judgment here. If you're going to meet with somebody to set up boundaries or to have a healthy some discussion, first of all, always meet them in public. Never meet them at a house. The reason you want to meet someone in public is because public accountability is very important for people that are irresponsible. They will treat you differently in public than they will in private. So if you need to set up a boundary, set it up in Starbucks. People are more respectful. Secondly, set up a time frame. I only have an hour. Tell them immediately, I can meet with you. I only have an hour. And set something up at that hour mark that you have to get to. And tell them 10 minutes before you're done, I only have 10 more minutes. And they may try to hook you, but you just say, I got to go and go. Thirdly, never put anything in writing. They will use it against you. Come on. If you have to say something strong, say it in person. Do not send an email. Do not text people and tell them your thoughts. That will be leveraged for a very long time. Come on. Every day I delete a text message that I want to send, but I will never send. Does anybody else? Every day I write a text message that's beautiful. It's articulate. It's educational. It's anointed. And I do this. Delete, 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 delete. Leave it alone, Havala. Leave it alone. Come on. So some of you, the reason you have a lot of drama in your life is because you're dramatic. You'll notice that your drama never leaves you. There's only one common denominator in the factor. You know how to not be dramatic and have a lot of drama? Hang out with people that don't have a lot of drama and make them a part of your inner circle and tell them to tell you, am I being dramatic? Tell me. And get around some healthy people. And don't find someone to cry in your beer with you. Find somebody who's honest. You need two people in your life. First person you need in your life, cheerleader. You need your mom if she's healthy. And that is the person who you can do no wrong. You're amazing. I love you. You're so fantastic. Does your hair always look like that? That's the person you need. Come on. You're so brave. You're that cheerleader. Then you need another person in your life, and that's your coach. And your coach is somebody who's like, I love you. Don't ever act like that again. Right? I love you. You probably should write, read this or whatever it is. Do not mix those two up. Do not make your spouse either of those. Let your spouse be your spouse. They can act however they want to act. 
because then the truth is they're your spouse. <laughs> you have very little control over that. But you can choose who you want in your world. So pick two friends, your cheerleader and your coach. And don't make them the same person because the moment you're like, they're cheering you on and then they're like, but let me tell you something. You're like, your heart's wide open. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. So let that cheerleader be the cheerleader. And I always say this. I have so much to share. I'm trying to keep it simple. When I preach on a Sunday, I never look for feedback on a Monday. Monday is my restoring day and I protect it with a vengeance. And I'm never going to read your feedback. And I'm never going to go on social media. And I'm never going to think about how to change Sunday. It's my Monday. And I'm going to celebrate the fact that I showed up. Now, Tuesday morning, after a good cup of coffee, and maybe, you know, some of my needs met. You guys are... (laughs) Don't be gross. Don't be gross. I am the sex educator. Yes, I am. This is true. Um, I will look at it when I feel at a good place. And you know how long I look at it? For about an hour. And then I make the changes I can. I ignore the ones I can't, and I keep going. Because life is too short to die on that mountain. You, you email me, and I don't know your name, and I don't know where you live, and you want to talk about what I'm doing, very little value. If you're my husband and he's like, don't ever say that again, tell me again. I want to get this right. Inner circle, outer circle, be really clear, okay? So here's what happens. We need to separate ourselves. um, We need to make sure that we set. Now, how do you set limits on people, okay? How do you set boundaries for other people? You ready? You might want to write this down. This is how you set boundaries for other people. Ready? You can't. Isn't that disappointing? You actually can't set boundaries for other people. They get to act however they want to act. The only person you have control over is yourself. So how do you have godly boundaries and healthy boundaries? You can set limits and standards, but you cannot set boundaries. So that means this. If you want to hang out with me, then you're going to have to act a certain way to hang out with me. Now, that doesn't mean that I get together with you and I'm like, hey, you want to hang out with me? Then don't be a jerk. Okay, it's like this. Hey, we're close, and I don't like the way that you're reacting to me. Then instead of every message that you send me, I'll respond to every other, and I'll begin to wean you without you really knowing. And I will begin to pursue those I want in my life by saying, hey, let's get together. And someone will say, well, you're being mean, or they'll say, where have you been? You'll go, oh, I'm just so busy. I'm just so busy. Well, don't I need to tell them that this is how they're acting? No. Why do, you need to tell, why do you need to tell them? What makes you, well, if I tell them, don't they, shouldn't they know that they're being, you don't think they don't know? You don't think they don't know that they are being controlling or manipulative? It has worked for them. And let me say, dysfunctional people and irresponsible people, that there is a payoff where it has worked for them for a very long time. And your little lecture isn't going to take them out of the payoff of what they're getting from how they're acting. If they care, they'll ask. And if they ask, be very, very careful how you communicate. How do you communicate boundaries to others? You communicate quickly and as simple as you possibly can. So if someone says, I remember early on when I'd have a baby, people would go, 
I just want to get together with you, and I feel like you're avoiding me, and I feel like, and I'll go, I'm so sorry that you feel that way. It's their feeling. I would love nothing more than to get together with you, but right now I'm trying to steward what God has put in my life. Send. Well, you know, it feels like on Thursday when I called you, you didn't call me back, and I feel like I'm so sorry you feel that way. I would love nothing more than to see you, but I'm trying to steward everything that's in my life really well. Send. You send it three times, they will get the message. Short, simple, clear. That's it. We've got to teach people how to be healthier in these things. Okay, I'm almost out of time. I have four minutes. So, I'm going to just skip a few of this. So how do we deal with people that are irresponsible? What if it's a spouse? That's my number one question. People are like, my spouse, talk about my spouse. Because that's the pain we feel because they're the closest in our life. And usually we have kids with them and you're like, I feel like I have more kids because I have this spouse who acts like a child. And let me just say this. Number one, two things. The first thing is this. Um, I want you to be able to live an abundant life without anyone else participating. So for you to wait for someone else to participate is not going to help you in staying powerful. I want you to do everything you can do without getting them to do anything. Second thing is this. I remember going to my mom's house, and my husband and I have a very, I would say, modern relationship. And what I mean by that is um, we kind of split. I don't know if modern is the right word. That might even sound derogatory, but I don't mean it that way. I just mean we both are hustling, and so we split different responsibilities. I still cook because he can't, um, but everything else we kind of split. And so when we go to my mom's house, my dad is a classic Italian, and he was the breadwinner. My mom was at home. She was the homemaker. And so when we get to her house, my dad will come in, and she will have made dinner, and she will have plated it, and she will bring it to him. He will eat dinner. And then she will clean it up. I always said, I, my life would be so much easier if I had a wife. But whatever. So, anybody else want a wife just for the purposes of that? So, so I remember as a young woman, I would say, Mom, what are you doing? Like, Dad's a grown man. He can get his own dinner. Like, what are you doing, Mom? Like, he can put his dish in the sink. Like, why are you doing this? And so she would kind of appease me. And finally, one day, she looked at me and she said, Havila, I like doing this for your dad. I don't mind you know what she was saying? She was saying, I feel powerful even though I'm serving your dad. And I want to do this. And just because you think it looks powerful to, for him to put his dish in the sink doesn't mean I need him to do it for me to feel powerful. So mind your own business. I've been in this for 40 years. <laughs> she said, your dad might be the head, but I'm the neck that turns the head. <laughs> So that's what I mean. Some of you, you look at things and you go, well, is this healthy? And is it? No, it's up to you. If you want this to look this way in your life, great. There is no rules. To, well, that's what a powerful person, stop it. If it works for you and you want to keep the peace and you know that this keeps the peace and you know that this is how it functions well, then you do it. You stay powerful in it. But just as long as you know you've made that decision. I've made a decision to function like this. And I like it. And I don't mind it. That's fine. You do that. You do you. Yeah? But that's what healthy looks like. So let's not make judgments on what healthy looks like. It's up to the person in the relationship what feels right for them in the relationship and how they honor what God's asking them to do. 
So, so this is really important. So, um, so in order to protect all of this, if we don't have self-love, and I, and I really mean like caring for ourselves. Someone goes, I want to love myself better. There's no such, that's like a moving target. It's not that you want to love yourself better. You want to care for yourself better. That will give you a tangible target. How are you caring for yourself? That will tell you how you love yourself. Because love feels very ambiguous. So if you, if you take care of your yard really well, which is your feelings, attitudes, and choices, and you steward these very well and you evaluate them. Remember, the Bible says that, that God walked with Adam and Eve through the cool of the garden every afternoon, and he walked the garden. I think about that every day. God and I, we walk my yard every single day once a day, and we survey it. How's my feelings? How are my attitudes? Talk to me a little bit more about that, God. How's my choices? Tell me a little bit more about what you think. It really matters to me, his involvement in my life. But every day we have a habit. Some of you, that's the morning time. You have quiet time. Some of you laying in bed at night. Some of you, it's a lunch break. But you're walking your yard, and you're talking to God about what's going on in your yard so you stay healthy, Okay. And then you, you begin to steward this well. And so when someone comes up to you and says, well, you know so-and-so, you're in your mind, you're filtering. Well, that's their choice. Well, that's their feeling. Well, I'm not going to take that. And you get really good at filtering. So when your spouse comes in and says, well, you know, you did this, this, and this, you go, oh, that's your responsibility. And you're not saying that. You try, don't say that to them. <laughs> yours, mine, yours, mine. Like, no, don't, don't do that. But I'm saying, like, you just begin to process in a healthy way. Oh, that's yours. Oh, I'll wait on that. I would never respond to an intense, an intense situation unless it was critical for 24 hours. Why? Because you will feed something that doesn't need to be fed. And if it's really important, they'll have the same opinion in 24 hours. But all of that heightened emotion will go down and people will respond a whole lot better. So... Someone goes, you didn't text me back. They don't have a right to get a text from you. There is no rules out there that says if someone sent you a text, you have to respond back. Well, that's irresponsible. No. No, it's not. I'm a very responsible person. I just didn't feel like I needed to text you back. You don't have that access to me. You only have so much access. I turn my phone off at night. If you don't get to me during the day, you won't get to me till the next day. That's it. I'm not being mean. I'm being godly. This is how I run two organizations with four children, 10 and under, and travel and write books. I didn't do it on accident. It's because I do everything on purpose. And I stay as clean as I can and as pure and as healthy as I can right here. So wherever I go, this goes with me. And I don't take on anything that isn't mine. Because I was never meant to carry anything but what God's put within my yard to carry. That's it. That's it. So... And depending on the week of the month, I do better. Okay, so, you know what I mean? There's certain weeks of the month you should never start anything. Mark it on your calendar, put it in red, and say, this is the week I don't make any decisions. I don't try to clear up any relationships. I don't try to figure out anything with my life or my finances. It is an off week. I leave it alone, and I start fresh the next week. Some of you go, that doesn't apply to me. Well, then it doesn't apply to you. But there are some of you, every single bomb that's gone off in your life has been that week of the month. So stop it. Stop it. Okay. 
So this is going to protect all of this. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to talk about the last and final portion. This is going to protect everything that God's put within you. And when you go home, you're going to be able to steward it so well. You'll be like, oh, that's my feeling. Oh, that's my choice. Oh, that's my attitude. You'll steward it all so well. All that pressure is going to go down. And you're going to go, oh, I know exactly what God is holding me responsible for. And it's not complicated. It's very, very simple. Does that make sense? All right. I love you guys. Bless you so much.